This is the Hockey News Prospect Podcast. Hello and welcome to the return of the Hockey News Prospect Podcast. I'm Stephen Ellis. That's Ryan Kennedy. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Ready to do this. It's been a while and the podcast format's changed a little bit over the years and uh, before the shutdown it was more of a Q&A live thing. Now we're actually going to bring it more back to what our, uh, what our main podcast is like and bring them some different topics. And let's start it off talking about Fasili Pudkulson. And that's a guy that I think is someone that Vancouver Canucks fans are always asking about because in the KHL, he doesn't get a lot of ice time. And uh, going through with some of the numbers, he's actually played fewer than 10 minutes in seven of his 19 KHL games this year. But in, in other cases, he's actually played more than 16 minutes. I believe there's been six of those games, which um, that could also be attributed to the fact that his team was just ravaged by COVID and all the youngsters got called up. And he was one of the guys who had more of experience. But when you look at it, he's actually not on pace to break his eight-point total from the KHL last year. And I know on the surface that could be worrying, but watching him play in the Cariela Cup, this was a guy that when you gave him those opportunities, he could shine, and he did a lot. He was a top scorer in the tournament, and there were rumors that he's actually he, – he hurt himself. He definitely twisted his right leg very uh, awkwardly in a hit, and he, he was not as quick as he was earlier in the tournament, but he still was Russia's best player. So I guess my question is um, – do you think his development's getting hurt in the KHL right now, right now, or is the fact that he's still playing in a good system with good players and good coaching help him? Well, I think it's okay. And I, I mean, I know what you're saying, you know, Vancouver fans, obviously studying him all the chance they can. I'm actually surprised there isn't a Vasily podcast yet uh, in Vancouver. It feels very on brand for that city. They love their, their <laughs> puns when it comes to hockey, but I, I'm not worried, you know, you look at SKA St. Petersburg, it's always one of the best teams in the KHL. You know, they really sort of bring in uh, all the talent they can, uh, particularly on the men's side. So if you're a youngster, you're just, you're really not going to get those top line minutes. And I think that's kind of understood. And, you know, Pod Colson, he's, he's actually played a game for SKA Neva as well, you know, going down uh, to the, the junior ranks um, or at least the, secondary ranks. And, you know, the, the thing I look at is his contract with SK expires April 30th, 2021. So that's this at the end of this season in the KHL, at which point in time he can go straight to Vancouver uh, if the Canucks would like him to, if they sign him to his contract. I think what we're seeing now is a player that is biding his time. He's practicing against men, you know, he's getting experience we have to keep in mind a lot of players in North America aren't playing at all right now. Um, you know, even top end prospect, they're just kind of sitting around waiting for world junior camps if they've been invited. So I'm, I'm not too concerned. I think the Cariela cup was a great example of what he can do. And once he gets over here, I think he's going to thrive pretty quickly. He's got the kind of game that really lends itself to the smaller ice. You know, we know he's physical. We know that he's tough on the four check. Uh, and we know he's talented. So I'm, I'm still very, very excited for Pod Colson. And, you know, I always say, like, if you look at Alex Ovechkin's numbers with Dynamo Moscow um, before he came over to North America, like, it wasn't huge. 
and that's Alex Ovechkin, one of the best goal scorers in the history of hockey. Um, it's just how they do it over there. And I, I think Pod Colson will be more than fine. I think it'll be great. And that's the thing about the, the KHL. Yeah, the guys, the younger players, they don't get to – they don't get to play a lot. And kind of the theory is, though, that because in the KHL, they do go through coaches pretty quickly, a lot of those teams. So uh, especially for the guys who it's clear, like Puckles, he's going to go to the NHL. Um, why, if you could foot, pit somebody who's better suited to play more, a veteran guy, why not play him? Because you're trying to maximize your chance as a coach of playing as long or as coaching as long as possible. So there's that. But also think about the World Juniors. I mean, you mentioned how good he was at the Carolina Cup. Is this a guy that, like, I think it's fair to say he'll probably contend for the top scoring uh, award in this tournament? I certainly think he'll be up there. You know, I mean, you're going to have to look at the Canadian kids. I think they're going to put up a lot of numbers, especially in the round robin, because the pool Canada is in is a lot weaker than the pool Russia is in. But in terms of Russian scores, I think you're looking at Pod Colson, you're looking at Rodion Amirov. Um, you know, there's probably another couple of guys there on that team, maybe Chinikov, the Columbus first rounder. Uh, there's going to be guys that can put up some nice points there. And what's very interesting is that, you know, now you have Igor Larionov coaching Russia for the longest time. It was Valerie Bragan, who is now the coach with, SKA St. Petersburg, where Paul mm-hmm. Golson is. Um, I wonder if Russia is going to be a little more offensively driven because they've got the professor at the helm instead of Bragan, who was a defensive mastermind behind the bench. So for me, it's going to be very fun to see what the Russian attack looks like and what they can do, especially early on when they're playing Team USA and Sweden. And, you know, they're, they're probably going to have to have some pretty tough games there. Let's, let's, keep uh, on track with talking world juniors and let's talk about Owen power with team Canada. Uh, he will not be playing for team. Well, he will not be taking part in Canada's world junior camp. That doesn't necessarily mean he, he won't make team Canada. I just don't see it happening because he's not in the camp. Uh, this is a guy that would have missed around 10 games as a freshman. It, it, again, first year of college. I don't think you want to miss that. And he is going there for academics, not just sports. So there, you have to take that into account when you've now been kind of shooed away. If you were to go take part in that camp, um, I guess my question was, and I know you kind of alluded to it before that he could make team Canada, I guess, there had to be the situation where it's like, okay, well, he's no, he's not a lock as good as he is. And let's not like, he's still young because he's a draft prospect, but he is a 2002. So he actually would be older than most of the draft as it is because he's a late 2002. So did you really think he may have made the lineup had they allowed him to stay with team Canada or was it just too risky overall? Well, I think he had a shot at the team, but it was certainly no guarantee because you look at Canada's blue line, they have incredible depth. And you have Jamie Drysdale, uh, also a 2002, um, coming back. He was on the team last year. You have Bowen Byram. You have Braden Schneider, who's a Hockey Canada favorite. You know, Justin Barron has been a Hockey Canada favorite. You've got some veteran guys like Matthew Robertson in the mix there. Um, there's a lot of options. So there was no guarantee that power is going to make it for me. I would have loved to have him there. If I was Canada, even if he was your number seven D because we saw what Jamie Drysdale did with that role last year, he really elevated himself and he was there when they needed him, but it was no guarantee. And I mean, it's just a tough situation overall, because if you're Owen power, you've been working towards playing for the university of Michigan. And then of course, with, the schedule being all messed up because of the pandemic, 
your first games are going to be this weekend. And you would have had to leave for Team Canada's camp before that. And as you said, he would have missed like 10 games with no guarantee that he was going to make Team Canada. So do you lose basically half your freshman season? Like you've never played for the Wolverines yet. I I have to imagine how important it is for him to get that career going because, you know, he made a commitment to the Wolverines. He wants to be there for his teammates. He wants to make contributions right away. On the other hand, I know he also wants to play at the World Juniors for Team Canada. Normally, this wouldn't really be a problem, but because of, you know, the OHL and WHL not starting yet, you know, because we're in a pandemic and there's going to be a bubble, Hockey Canada has this 51-day camp, which is a, a huge commitment for these players to make. And, you know, they did say that the first cuts would come within about a week, 10 days. So hypothetically, you could go and you get cut and you only miss, say, four games if you're, uh, you know, if you're on power. But you never know. So do you take the risk of not playing any games in the first half of the college season and still miss out on a roster spot with Team Canada? Or do you stay back knowing that you're not going to play at the World Juniors, but you are going to play great competition in the NCAA and get your college season going in what is also your draft year. I mean, scouts want to see Owen power and scrimmages in, you know, a world junior camp are just not the same as game action against top NCAA competition where you are an 18 year old playing against guys that might be 21, 22 years old. So it's just a a rough situation all around. I can understand where everybody's coming from. Um, but, you know, ultimately it's, it's just, it's too bad for Owen Power. Um, I, I would say, you know, he'll be there next year, but maybe he'll be in the NHL next year. I mean, he's that good. That, that's the thing. He could go straight to the NHL next year. So there's a chance that we, we won't get to see a first overall guy get to play in this tournament. And first overall, not guaranteed by any, any sort of means at this point, but um, he did make the decision. He's a, he was born in Mississauga. He played through the GTHL. So this is a guy from Ontario. He could have gone the OHL route and been playing really strong competition the last couple of years, but he wanted to go the school route. He wanted to go the NCAA way. And I, it could just be a way of him just trying to fully justify that. It's like, well, I, I, I picked this route so I can go to school. And if I'm missing school to just play a couple of scrimmages against the other half of Team Canada and a couple of U Sports teams, what was the point of that commitment? And it would be hard for him to, as good as he is, it would be hard for him to then go straight back into the NCAA and make an impact because if they've already played 10 games, they've kind of got used to a lineup and that's kind of tougher. Certainly. Like I said, it's, it's really no win. And, you know, game reps in your draft year are so crucial. And, you know, I think the world of Owen power, I, I certainly think he can go number one overall this year. And unfortunately it's, it's just a season where, you know, the, the pandemic has really thrown things for a loop. And, you know, traditionally Hockey Canada, it's, it's a major junior program. All come from the CHL. Um, you know, there, there's a couple of other players in a similar situation. You know, Dylan Holloway, who was just taken in the first round by uh, Edmonton. You know, he's at Wisconsin. And, you know, he played for the Badgers last year as a true freshman. But, you know, he has to consider – um, his options here as well. Does he want to miss valuable development time with Wisconsin uh, to go 
play at the World Junior Camp. I, I think he could probably make the team this year, so it's slightly different um, because he's slightly older. But, you know, I mean, these are tough decisions for these teenagers to make. Well, let's not forget, Kale McCarr declined an opportunity to play at the Olympics. And something, again, you never know if that's going to happen again, especially at the time when the NHLers weren't going. You never know if you're going to ever be able to play for your country again. And Kale McCarr probably will. He's quite a, an exceptional talent. But that was something I think a lot of people were surprised at. But it worked out for his development. Let's talk a bit about guys that were drafted back in October, which, again, sounds weird after saying June for all these years, I guess other than Lafreniere and Byfield, what other 2020 draft prospects, if any, uh, can you see actually making a jump to the NHL once it returns? And of course we're hoping it returns for a 2020, 2021 season. And it probably won't actually begin till well, it will not start until the 2021 part portion, but which players do you see could crack it out from the draft? Well, you know, I look at Tim Stutzla, the, uh, the third overall pick to Ottawa and, you know, he's injured right now, but he will be back come World Junior time. Hopefully he gets to play for Germany at the World Juniors because that would be a great stepping stone for him after playing on the team's second line last year. And, you know, I thought showing fairly well. So I think he is a shot at the Senators. I mean, it's going to be a big open competition with a lot of talent there. Um, so he's a possibility. I'm also wondering if Jamie Drysdale gets a long look from the Anaheim Ducks. I mean, this is a team that is – in the sort of trough of their rebuild as it would be. And we've seen Jamie Drysdale exceed expectations before. I mean, we were just talking about it with last year's world juniors. So I could see that happening. I mean, he has the poise and he has the, the mobile game that you want in modern day defensemen. And in this topsy turvy season where, you know, the NHL could return before the OHL, there's no reason not to bring Drysdale to your camp if you're Anaheim and, and you go from there. I, I think he certainly could earn a spot. I don't know if he will, but I think he certainly could. And it's not necessarily uncommon to see defensemen kind of get that opportunity. And Drysdale, I, I know some people's – it seemed like like just seeing what people were saying publicly about, about the defensemen in this draft. And I, I've been a huge fan of Jamie Drysdale for a long time. And it almost seemed like people's like opinions kind of like – soured on him it's like oh maybe jake sanderson really is the best defenseman in this draft and um i, I think drysdale is going to be a fantastic player when he makes the jump and with anaheim you can go out there and you can kind of like if he was to make it this year you can kind of say okay go make your mistakes just go learn this will be way better than right now going to the ohl and not hitting this gives him that kind of an opportunity you got to wonder like could we see that with more ohl players that were drafted early well, I mean, that's going to be very interesting. And yeah, I think the, the thing you have to think about if you're an NHL team is burning a year of that entry-level contract in what's going to be another weird season, let's face it. So I think, you know, it's sort of the tie goes to the runner scenario where, you know, if it's Jamie Drysdale, you probably say to yourself, yeah, he's worth it. We'll, we'll burn a year of that deal because we know what we have in Jamie Drysdale. He can probably help the Ducks right away. If there's a player that's more kind of borderline, they probably send him back because you want to make sure you have that maximum flexibility in the next few years, especially for players that, you know, might need raises and substantial ones after that three-year entry-level deal is finished. Everybody's really got to think about the cap in the coming years because you know, it's probably not going to go up the way teams initially thought it would before the pandemic. 
All right, let's shift gears a little bit before we get into the questions. I want to talk about the early Calder Trophy picks. And this will be an interesting year because, again, we don't know for sure when the NHL season is going to start. It's rumored for January. Well, that's what the NHL said, but can we really believe that? I would say no. Um, so let's get your picks. I, I'll give a couple of mine first of just kind of a name to throw out. Bowen Byram. Can't go wrong with him. Lexus Lafreniere. Again, uh, I, I actually talked with Matt Larkin earlier today about how hard it is for a first overall pick, uh, I'd say, to win the Calder because um, like you look at Jack Hughes. He struggled this year. Look at Capocacco going number two. He also struggled. But you look at the guys who were the top rookies, and they were Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr, and Dominic Kubelik. And what do they all have in common? They're all over 20 years old, uh, and Kubelik, he's 25 years old. These guys had a bit more experience. Lafreniere obviously is a guy to watch. And then Kirill Kaprizov, a guy that we're finally getting to see in Minnesota. And I'm almost terrified that it's going to be a bust right away because Minnesota is not this high-powered team. And Kaprizov has always had these really good line mates to play with. So I think people are going to almost kind of sour on him quickly like people did with Nikita Gusev. But who are your early Calder Trophy picks? Well, I think Kaprizov's up there. And, you know, it, it's all about opportunity. And you're totally right. You know, older rookies – tend to have a bit of a leg up because, you know, they've just had more experience. They're stronger. And, and that's a big thing. And, um, you know, obviously Lafreniere and Byfield wants to watch for sure. Byram will be interesting just because, you know, Colorado has Kale McCarr. They have Samuel Girard. It'll be interesting to see, you know, if Byram makes that team, what kind of role he can get. Um, so I'm looking at Kaprizov. I, I, I feel it's going to be a real Russian flavor this year. So Kaprizov for sure. Alexander Romanov in Montreal. Mm -hmm. Dynamic kid, you know, hits like a freight train. Playing in a big market, you know, if, if I'm thinking about the actual voting structure, Romanov has a nice advantage because Montreal, you know, a lot of reporters in that town, you know, a lot of votes um, and just you get a lot of visibility if you're playing Montreal because you're playing against other big markets. And, um, you know, people are going to know about Romanov. He's a splashy player. Uh, Grigory Denisenko would be the other name I would keep in mind for the Florida Panthers. You know, this is a team that did not bring back the Donoff, uh, did not re-sign Mike Hoffman, at least not yet. Um, so they've got room on the wings for kids to show up and seize those roles. Could be Denisenko, could also be Owen Tippett, could be both of them. But I think, uh, you know, Denisenko, again, because he's played against men already back in Russia and he's had some tremendous international performances, I'm looking at him as a guy that could get some nice points maybe on one of the top lines in Florida and, and really put a stamp on, uh, on this season early on. And I know it's hard for a goaltender to win the Calder Trophy, but – Igor Shosturkin on the New York Rangers. This is a guy that every – like he's lost so few games in the last five years, no matter where he's played. He only played 12 games in the NHL last year, 10-2, and two, and now he's got the New York Rangers net, seemingly, assuming he beats out Georgiev. Of course, it is hard for goaltenders to go out there and win the Calder Trophy, and I'm correct. Steve Mason was the last in uh, 09, and uh, Andrew Raycroft, I want to say, right, was the last one before that. So it's hard for a goalie to win it, but does he have a real shot? Well, if any goaltender has a shot, Shesterkin would be the guy right now. And, you know, the, there are some factors that might hinder him. You know, I mean, wins uh, on this Rangers team, you know, they're, they're still on the way up. They got a lot of great young talent. I mean, they, 
they still have Panera and they still have Zabana Jad. So this is a team that's kind of built for now, but also still with an eye on the future. So, you know, Shesterkin, depending on how many starts he gets um, and depending on what that Rangers defense looks like in front of him um, might be a factor. But again, you know, much like Romanoff, New York, a big market, you know, there's, they're going to have a lot of national games, I'm sure. And you're going to have a lot of attention on that team because of Lafreniere. So, you know, the spotlight will be there. And Shesterkin is an elite goaltender. Uh, It'll just be a matter of, you know, is he the kind of guy where, you know, you look back at Steve Mason, really he got Columbus to the playoffs. You know, once he took over in net, you know, it was kind of the Steve Mason and Ken Hitchcock show (laughs) in Columbus. That's how they, they turned things around that year. Um, Can Shesterkin have that sort of impact on a team that has Panarin, that has the Benajad, um, that has Lafreniere and Cabo Caco, um, you know, that, that's something to consider, but yeah, he's an elite goaltender either way. All right, let's go to our questions. And I want to start with one with a fantastic name, ultimate T-Rex fighter. Something tells me that's not their actual name. Maybe wrong. Uh, he asked if no contact, if there is no contact uh, in the OHL and that's what it looks like will be for sure the case. Do you foresee most of the top prospects playing elsewhere uh, with USHL underway and the OJHL also playing without contact? Is it too late for those players to make most of their draft year? I don't think it's too late yet. And I think once there's creation on this, you know, because you have the minister of sports saying no contact, but then you have the premier of Ontario, her boss saying, I would like contact. Um, So you know, feels to me like it's still up in the air. But let's say there is no contact. I think you see a lot of those kids head over to Europe. And, you know, at this point, they're probably not going to have a chance to play for major leagues. You know, like you're not going to have room in Sweden or Finland or anything like that. But, you know, we're starting to see some kids go over to Denmark. Uh, You know, maybe some kids go to Norway. Uh, Some of these sort of second tier Um, European leagues where games are being played and there are roster spots that these kids could seize. Uh, Austria would be another country I would look at where I wonder if you see some kids go over there, you know, JJ Pateka, the German prospect um, he's been loaned out to an Austrian club because his German squad isn't playing games yet. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that because I mean, these kids need games and most of them are, you know, did not get World Junior Camp invites. So you can't really go off of that. And you need to show off what you have. So I wonder what that means for, you know, Brant Clark, Mason McTavish, uh, Ethan Del Mastro. You know, there's a, a bunch of kids that are in the same boat. And, you know, obviously they're hoping that February 4th brings along a normal OHL schedule. But if it looks like it's no contact, we'll probably see a lot of kids go over and, you know, maybe it's possible that we see some kids in the USHL. Um, That would all depend on loan agreements and and things like that. Um, It is really complicated, unfortunately, but yeah, they got to get in games and they have to be contact games. And the other thing to also to keep in mind is like, while yeah, it is February 4th, that is when the OHL is expected to return. If we've learned anything through COVID, Nothing is certain when it comes to hockey schedules, so always write it down in pencil. All right, we've got one from Tanner Wilson. He asks, which players in the NHL do you think would be the strongest NHL prospects this year? Yeah, there's two kids that I'm looking at right now. I've actually 
got to watch both of them already. I'm, I'm using that hockey TV uh, subscription quite a bit. I know you are too. Um, the first is Owen Millward, uh, goaltender with the Janesville Jets. Um, big kid, really makes himself look big in the crease as well. Um, got into his first action uh, last weekend, uh, actually came in as an injury replacement for their other goalie, Sims. Um, so, you know, he didn't play a ton. Let in one goal that looked like might have been screened. Uh, he might have just been a little slow on it. But I think Millward's got a, a lot of potential in the crease. And, you know, the NHL for me, their best NHL prospects tend to be goaltenders. Uh, we've seen a lot of them over the years, kind of going all the way back to Ryan Miller. Uh, ben Bishop as well played in the USA or in the NHL. Um, so if, if you're a big goaltender and you're sort of just trying to find your stride, the NHL is like perfect for you. The other name I'll toss out is, uh, is Dominic Ravelli, who is playing for the um, Wichita Falls Warriors down in Texas. Um, this is a kid where, you know, when I was surveying scouts, uh, I guess in the summer about who would have made the Holinka Gretzky team for, for team USA, if the tournament had happened, um, you know, several of them mentioned Ravelli. Uh, I believe he came out of the Chicago mission system, which is a very good system. Bright jerseys. Uh, so was that very bright jerseys, very easy to see. Very bright jerseys. Yeah. Neon green. They're beautiful. Um, but Ravelli, um, yeah, he started his NHL career and, um, you know, it, it, he doesn't, he didn't have a prominent role right away, uh, with the Warriors, but you know, he's just joining the team, getting his feet wet. Uh, so I'm interested to see what he can do up front as a forward for them. All right. We got one from a longtime uh, listener of all hockey news podcasts, I believe Jeremy Buchert. And you're that interesting one with the world juniors. Why is it that the Canadians so frequently have weaker goaltending compared to some of the other te- top teams in the world juniors and that a lot of their goalies don't really accomplish much in the NHL. They gave Zach Fucali, Justin Pogge, Mark Vizetin. And I think a lot of people do forget that the, the top goalie in the world juniors last year was Canadian. And uh, I know people are saying this year, like, Oh, Canada's, weakness in the world juniors is goaltending but at the same time we said that last year and it turned out to be actually a good strength of the team but why do you think that a lot of these guys that it just seems like the Canadian goaltending outside of guys like Carter Hart or Michael DiPetro just hasn't been very inspiring over the last let's say 15 years it's very true and it's you know it's a vexing problem for Hockey Canada because you're going into these tournaments and I, I know I said this last year too where on paper you have maybe the fifth or sixth best goaltenders in the tournament, you know, and, and if you look at this year, Russia has Askarov, Team USA has Spencer Knight, you know, Sweden has several options led by Hugo Alnefeld, the Tampa Bay Lightning prospect, um, you know, Finland has Joel Blomqvist. It just seems that with Hockey Canada lately, they're always kind of scrambling and, you know, sometimes they, they get lucky and you get a Joel Hoffer who catches fire during the season and, you know, becomes your guy. And you have like Nico Dawes was there as well. They were sort of the one, two punch, but I feel that it's, it's development really. And, you know, a, a couple of these countries, you know, I know Sweden and Finland, they've really, you know, sort of in the past 10, 15 years, they really looked at their goaltending system and, and, and they asked themselves, how do we improve it? And I know there's a big emphasis on coaching goaltenders over in Europe that I just don't know if we have it over here. And, you know, maybe with the Americans, because their goaltenders tend to go the NCAA route, you know, there's, they're playing against older competition where 
the majority of Canadian goaltenders obviously are in the CHL. They're playing against mostly 18, 19 year olds. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because the, the schedule in major junior is so much more game based than it is practice based that you're not getting the same development reps as you would if you were playing a college schedule where you're only playing about 30, 35 games a year, or even in Europe uh, where they pay, play fewer games during their schedule. It really is, you know, this, uh, this question that's come up time and again. And, you know, as you mentioned, you get some good ones like Carter Hart. You know, I'm looking at Benjamin Gaudreau this year uh, in Sarnia. I think he could probably be one of those star net minders for next year's World Junior team. But yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty. And I think it's something that, you know, Hockey Canada, they've certainly put some work into it. You know, they have their goaltending programs, but so far it hasn't yielded any fruit. And if you look at the Vesna trophy voting for the, the goalies that got at least one vote, either in first, second, or third place, three goalies were Canadian, and they all received one three third-place votes, and that being Jordan Bennington, Tristan Jari, and Darcy Kemper. So, yeah, you got to look. It's like, it just seems like it's not translating to the NHL. But at the same time, look at the U.S. National Development Team. That's a program where they continue like create great junior programs. Every year you always know they're going to be strong in the World Juniors. And then it doesn't translate to anything in the men's level whatsoever, the world championships and the Olympics. And obviously it's hard to get best on best competition, but it's like, they're, they're getting stomped on uh, the Olympics and they're not really doing much of the world championships. It's like each program's got its strengths and some of God's flaws. Our last question is actually also about goaltending. It's about Yaroslav Askarov and it comes from the pigeonhole hockey podcast. What a great name that is. How long do you think it may take for national predators pick Yaroslav Askarov to develop into an NHL starting goaltender? And I think we've talked about in the past, you look at guys like Carter Hart just recently uh, as you, you don't necessarily need to have a long development path to make it to the NHL. If you've got the overall talent and Askarov, I think might be one of those guys who are going to see in the NHL sooner rather than later, especially we saw what he did in the Cariola cup. We've seen what he's done in the KHL. He's having a fantastic season. I totally agree. I think that for a normal goaltender, once you draft them, you don't even really think about them for like four or five years if you're an NHL franchise. It, you know, it usually takes that long. For Askarov, I think he's in that Carter Hart mold where you, you're actually thinking, you know what, two, three years, he could be with us. And I think that is totally possible. You know, he's got the size, he's got the poise, he's got the athleticism. You know, he has everything you want in a goaltender. And, you know, I've said this a couple of times before. I think the fact that Carter Hart has become so good and so important to Philadelphia already really helps Askarov's path because Nashville can look at Carter Hart and say, well, we've got a guy that we think is as good, if not better. And if he can do it in Philly, Askarov can probably do it in Nashville, especially when you look at the Nashville defense that he's going to have in front of him, even in a couple of years, you know, you're still going to have Roman Yossi. You're still going to have Ryan Ellis. You're still going to have Matias Ekholm. You're going to have Dante Fabro. Like you're still going to have a really good decor. Askarov, I, I think, you know, as soon as his contract is done over in Russia, bring him over. You know, maybe he plays a little bit with AHL Milwaukee. Maybe he, you know, is your backup for a year in Nashville where you get him a decent amount of starts. It's probably UC Saros as your starter by then. Um, but I don't think it's going to take very long. I think this kid is, you know, I, w I wouldn't say light years ahead of the competition, but this is a kid that's on the fast track to the NHL. 
All right, I'm, I'm really excited for Askarov. This is a guy that I know, like, from watching from tournament after tournament after tournament and KHL game after KHL game after KHL game, it's whenever the stakes are high, he really shows up. And we saw Russia. I don't know if anyone really predicted them to win the Cariela Cup because they were the only under-20 team there, and the coaches on the other teams were saying, like, well, can we take this really seriously? You had to because he just made you guys look really bad. He's the dream killer for a reason. Ryan, thank you so much for helping bring this podcast back, the Prospect Podcast, a lot of fun to talk about. We're going to be doing this, I'd say, every other week going forward. So, again, thank you so much for joining me. Great being here. I'd love to do it.